welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Well, Kingdom Culture, today I have something very special to show with you and share with you. Just over six years ago, I shared a message uh, that I believe is very, very relevant to right now as we get ready to rebuild and relaunch into meeting together in person. I feel like, you know, it's been two years almost that we have not met in person. And I think there are key building blocks and I believe even teaching that we need moving into seasons like this. And so, you know, I really wrestled with this. I thought maybe, man, this content is so good. And even though it's a little bit older, just over six years ago, and I look very different than I do right now, at least I think I do, I I believe it's just as powerful. And uh, of course, it's different than coming to you online. You're definitely going to hear the version of Sean in uh, a more public setting. But I want to encourage you to lean in today and look past all the things that, you know, may be said or not said that may be a little bit offensive. But just lean in today to the message. I believe it will really encourage you as we move forward. Don't tune out, though. I know you're thinking to yourself, well, it's got to be a fresh word from God right now. Well, I believe it's just as fresh as it was over six years ago, as it can be right now if you just open up your spirit. And really, I'm talking about Nehemiah again. I'm talking about Nehemiah and rebuilding as we move forward again, because some things in our life have been broken down, even... Speaking about the church, you know, we've been not meeting for two years, so there's some walls that have been broken down. And so I want to encourage you, lean into this message today. I know it will strengthen you as we as a community get ready to move forward in this next season. So lean in today. This message is called, it's called When Will You Give Up? When Will You Give Up? And it was during a series called The Resistance over six years ago in our building. Acts 19 verse 20 is, is our really our scriptural premise for this whole series, The Resistance. This is our series finale. And uh, it's basically this. Again, word spread and the message of the Lord overcame resistance and spread powerfully. We've been talking over and over again about how resistance can either be our friend or our enemy. Resistance, when perceived right, actually is used to change us from the inside out and to make us a more powerful person, to make us or make or make our experience a more powerful experience, make our calling a more powerful calling and influence. Nothing can be referenced as powerful in life unless it's first overcome something that's been powerful. It's got to overcome some form of resistance. The word of the Lord had to overcome resistance before it became and noted as powerful. So, it's, you know, resistance really is our friend. I love the, the song that we've been singing today. We haven't sang it in a while. You make me brave. He calls us from the shore into the waves. God does that because the shore is comfortable, right? The shore is relaxing. You're sitting on your little chair, dipping your toe in the nice, nice you, know, uh, you know, shoreline water, sipping your little margarita, doing whatever you're doing, reading your book, you know, relaxing with your cucumbers on your eyes, whatever you're doing. You're hanging out in the sun. It's enjoyable. It's comfortable. It's secure. But hey, what God does, he says, you know what? Okay, you've had enough of that. The cucumbers are stale. I'm going to call you out into the waves, into the resistance. Because in the, in the waves, in the resistance, that's where the sharks are. That's where all the junk is. That's where, that's where the undertow is. That's where, I mean, you got to be strong. You got to, this is where you grow up. This is where you grow out. This is where you, you go and move through the tension. This is where you get stretched. And this is where you battle with fear. You're not battling fear on the shore. You're not battling, this is where, that's where the battle is. But that's where God calls us to. Calls us beyond the shore and into the resistance, literally, in life. That's what prepares us for our futures. Week four, I'm excited. I feel like God is going to give you some real, oh, Jesus. Let's pray for a second. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you'd help us um, really experience what you want us to experience this morning. And God, just take us out of the distractions that we have right now. Anybody that came in with distractions, heaviness, 
a fight with their wife, a fight with their husband, with their kids, whatever. We just lay it down, God. We just lay it down. We come in just with no distractions, no heaviness in Jesus' name. God, we focus on what you want to do in our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not saying that because I had a fight with my wife this morning. I didn't, but I, I, um, I know that some of you did. So uh, <laughs> uh, we are going to be speaking out of Nehemiah, okay, speaking out of Nehemiah and uh, specifically Nehemiah 4. But before we go there, I want to give a little bit of context. This is a little more of a heavier message today, and I feel like it's going to be really instrumental for your life moving forward. And um, I'm going to give a lot of scripture. So please track with me, follow along with me on the screen, the digital Bible, take notes, okay? I want you to take notes. So, and I want to help bring you along a journey of some of the key things that you need to understand in a season when you're moving forward in, this, in, a, in a midst of resistance in your life, okay? This is going to revolutionize your thinking about a few things, and um, it's going to help give you like um, an aerial view of your season. It's going to help bring more clarity to you, and I believe God's going to put some really key building blocks spiritually into your life in, this, in these next 40 minutes, I'm telling you, that's going to help propel you and prepare you for the next season that we're moving into. And uh, so get ex I'm excited. By the way, next weekend, we're launching a new series called Graduation Day. And uh, we're launching that off with Vision Weekend. And so it's going to be absolutely incredible. You're going to want to be here for the entire weekend. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a, a young little boy, Jewish boy, exile, exiled in Persia. And uh, he was there until the Persians and the Medes basically overthrew or took or defeated King Nebuchadnezzar. And they took everyone captive. And uh, they moved in. Everything began to change. And at this time, for years, the walls, because if you know the story, if you read Daniel, the whole, you know, Daniel was a young boy, along with his friends and other Hebrew children that were brought over when King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians basically destroyed Jerusalem, broke down the walls, burned the city gates. They took all these people into captivity for 70 years, okay? For 70 years, they were in captivity. And so at, in, this, in this time frame, we have Nehemiah, okay? Around the 5th century in this time frame, we have Nehemiah, who was, in, who was also exiled in Persia, okay? Until the Medes and the Persians took over and basically overthrew the power of King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So now this new king is in, is in authority named King Artaxerxes. Everyone say Artaxerxes 10 times fast. Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes. Okay, and I'm speaking in tongues now. I'm just joking. But anyways, King Artaxerxes, um, he was the, the new king that had been appointed. And so Nehemiah, he grew up in this environment and grew up serving King Artaxerxes. And, and he was given the role of cupbearer, which was a very, very important role, a role that was held in high esteem because like to have the role of cupbearer you had to be absolutely trustworthy. You were trusted on inside the inner circle. I mean, you were hearing conversations that nobody else was hearing. You were serving wine and drinks at the royal table. I mean, you were hanging out with high-level officials and governors and all these different things, kings and queens. And you were seeing stuff that nobody else could see or was seeing. And so, I mean, th these people had to be trained, had to be trustworthy, people of integrity. Also, I mean, it was a big... Uh, you know, financially, it was very, very uh, good for them as well to be in this position. And so Nehemiah grew up, was raised up into this, was given great favor, great promotion. And his role, one of his main roles as the cupbearer, because you see, in that time, kings were always being attacked, trying to be taken out. And so oftentimes, what, the way that they do it is they poison the drink. This is not just some sort of Game of Thrones, you know, TV series. This is like, they actually happened where the drinks were poisoned and... Um, and, and so the cupbearer, Nehemiah, would drink the wine or drink the drink before it was served to the king to make sure there was no poison in it. So think about it. Every day, Nehemiah was laying down his life for the king. The king. Every day, he was laying down his life for the king. The king was first. You see, when we make first things first in life, promotion, calling, purpose ends up being fulfilled. Nehemiah, that wasn't even his purpose. But it was the preparation for what was about to become his purpose. He had to practice every day giving his life 
down, laying his life down for the king, practicing what it looked like to be humble and lowly, serving another. I mean, he had to literally give his life. And so one day he comes into the king's court and he's all sad and depressed because he's hearing all these reports of the fact that Jerusalem still lies in ruins. The walls still have been torn down. The gates still have not been uh, repaired. And there's just brokenness in the people where his ancestors are buried. There's brokenness in his spiritual homeland. And there's depression and oppression. And every day all the people can do is look at the ruins that began one time long ago because of failure the ruins of the walls broken down all they're, they're living with a state of a permanent state and position in their heart of unbelief and doubt and we're never going to advance again we're never going to rebuild we're never going to see restoration we're never going to see reconciliation the Babylonians have ruined it forever and that's the, the state of the people and so Nehemiah is carrying this burden into the king's court and the king says to Nehemiah hey Nehemiah what's going on What's going on? Why are you so sad? And he's like, well, how can you not be so sad? The place where my ancestors are buried still lies in ruins. And so at that point, the king commissions him and says, okay, you can go. You can go, and I'll support you. I'll give you the provision. You served me well. You see, he made the king first, and everything happened as a result after that. He had the provision for his calling. Everything that he was called to do was provided for Nehemiah, but he understood how to lay down. How could he lay down his life to restore a people group by rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem if he never first gave his life and laid it down for the king? kind of a picture of our own lives how can we expect to love the people if we don't first understand God's love for us and actually are able to lay down our life for the one who loves all the people more than we do so it's a spiritual parallel and so he gets commissioned he goes over to Jerusalem in the night he's scouting out the land looking at everything and and then he begins to talk about his plans people begin to hear about his plans he begins to continue doing and rebuilding or starting to rebuild the fallen walls. And this is where we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4. The resistance, send ballot. There's these three guys, regional governors, that were resisting. Not only them, but the people around them resisting the work of restoring Jerusalem's walls. You know, and you got to understand too, one other thing I want to just, par- or want to like outline for us is that these walls represented so much of the people in Jerusalem, represented protection, security, identity, ownership. This is our land. It represented like uh, 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 faith for them. Faith that like, you know, we have something healthy and strong. We're a strong fortress. It represented so much to their culture, but they'd been living the opposite. They'd been living in the ruins. And so he's rebuilding it. Verse 1, chapter 4, Sanballat was very angry. When he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day? by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Now you gotta understand, these these, these two people, these first two people represented, uh, um, sorry, um, Tobiah and Sanballat represented two people groups that were actually driven out by God out of the promised land that Israel was called to possess. So it's in their spiritual lineage that, hey, you've destroyed, you've removed us from our land. We're going to keep you from enjoying your land. That was their whole, it was in their spiritual DNA. They, maybe they didn't even realize it. Maybe they weren't even thinking about it, but they were determined to keep them, keep Nehemiah and his core team from rebuilding the walls that have been fallen and rebuilding the gates. It says in, in verse um, Four, then I prayed, hear us our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of all the builders. Verse 6, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw them into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain, the workers are getting tired. 
and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we're going to swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. If you're taking notes, write this message title down in your notes. When will you give up? When will you give up? That is the question. I think, I feel like this is a fitting focus for the last part of our resistance series. This is a question that both God and the devil at the same time are asking you. When will you give up? The devil's asking you to give up your spiritual inheritance. He's asking you to give up your purpose, your destiny, your future, your family, your relationships. He's asking you to give up on your relationship with God. He's asking you to give in to the addictions in your life and let those destroy your life because he knows if they destroy your life, you'll never make it to the end. You'll never make it fulfilling the potential that God gave you in the beginning. He's asking you that question all the time. The lies are coming into your head. You're not good enough. You're not going to make it. When are you going to give up? That's the question the devil's always asking you. That's the question that even life is always asking you. You don't get the job that you wanted. You don't get the job that you thought you were going to get. The question is, hey, might as well just give up. Maybe the career you thought you were going to have because you didn't get the job you thought you were going to get isn't actually the career you're really going to have. And then it, it tweaks you a little bit, throws you into confusion. And you're like, but I, I don't understand. And see, the enemy loves it because the enemy, if he can get you to forget what you're called to, if he can get you to forget what you're called to, he'll push you into a place where you give up on what you're called to because you forget. God is also asking the same question, not in that context, but differently. When will you give up everything to me? You've been holding back. You've been holding your career back from me, not letting me in. You've been holding your relationships back with me, not letting me in. Holding your family back for fear, for fear. You don't trust me with your family. You don't trust me with your finances. I'm always speaking to you about this and that. You're not trusting me in this area, that area, with your friends, your church. You're just not trusting me. In when are you going to give up? When are you going to fully jump into the depth or the deep end? You've been in the shallow end, kind of sitting on the fence, dipping your toe in the shallow end where it's comfortable in the gray zone. But God is like, hey. Listen, when will you give up? Let me take over because when I take over, you'll end up being able to take over and do what you're called to do in life. You'll end up being able to fulfill the fullness of your potential in life. When will you give up? We're in a building season and in a building season, there are moments and times of great pressure that we have to realize will come. And are happening in every one of our lives because we're all in a building season. You may be building family. You may be believing, you know, you're going to have four kids. You're going to have five kids. Maybe you're on kid number one. Maybe you have no kids and you're believing. Maybe you believe you're going to get married one day. You're going to have the dream job one day. Whatever you're believing for in life, you're building towards something right now. We're all building towards something right now. All of us in this room. And in those times, pressures come. Resistance comes. Pressures and resistance come, and often what first takes place in that resistance or under those pressures is the feeling that you're losing control. You've had control for so long. How many control freaks do we have in the house? Come on, just raise your hand, confess. This is healing time right now. How many control freaks? Well, you know, in these, in these moments, some of you didn't put your hand up, and I know you're control freaks, but in this season, in this season, that's why you didn't put your hand up, because you're a control freak. I'm just joking. And so, uh, in this, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, we're all struggling addicts in some area probably. So, you know, like, you know, when, 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 when there's added pressure and we're advancing in life and you feel like you're losing control, that's exactly the place that God wants you to be. Because maybe, just maybe in that season, there's a circumstance facilitated for you where you have no choice but to give up. And give up and give control and allow God to take over in your life. In every area. I'm telling you, when you allow God to take over in areas of your life where you've struggled to give him, I'm telling you, you're going to find a new level of freedom. A new level of freedom. So I want to give you four things today. Take notes. Four things today that the spiritual resistance in life calls into question in our life. And then I want to give you the four antidotes or four solutions to overcome those four things that are being, are coming against you. And calling into question in your life. Number one, the first thing that's called into question in our life when resistance happens is our calling. Our calling is called into question. 
You may be called to be a mom, but you have no kids right now. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel like you're barren. You're not able, for some reason, medical reason or whatever, you're not able to have kids, but you feel called. You know you're called. The first thing that will come when you're not seeing success or about to move forward into that state or into that mode is the lie that says you're not going to become pregnant. You're not going to become, you're going to struggle. Nothing good's going to come your way. You have this ideal, but it's only an ideal. Maybe it's not even really God. Did God really say you were going to become a mom? Or did God really say you were going to get this job? Or did God really say you were going to become this great, you know, spiritual icon or pop culture icon in the world in entertainment? Did God really say you're going to become this leader that's going to change the business world? Did God really say, you know, you're going to do this or do that? And our calling is questioned. Our calling is questioned and then we begin to doubt ourselves. How many have ever doubted what they're called to do in any area? You're driving to work and you're doubting, I don't know if I can do this job. And even though you know you're there for a reason, you go through seasons where under pressure, or you feel like you're losing control out of your mouth. You say, I don't know if I can do it. And you're beginning to surrender to those thoughts in your head. Well, we see in Nehemiah 2, the beginning of Nehemiah 2, where we see the beginning of Nehemiah's calling. And he gets to the, into the king's presence and he realizes, oh my gosh, i got to do something about the land of my ancestors. i got to go back there. i got to rebuild the walls that have been in ruins. i got to build, rebuild the gates that have been burned with fire. i gotta, I got to restore dignity to my people. i got to do something about this. The king ends up releasing him. He ends up going out to scout the land. He has all the provision he needs. And now he's telling his friends, he's telling some people, some fellow Jews, hey, this is what we're called to do. And he'll pick it up in verse 18 of Nehemiah 2. It says this, Then I told them, this is Nehemiah speaking, about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king they replied at once yes let's rebuild the wall so they begin to good they began the good work and how many know that there's always a honeymoon stage everyone's excited at the beginning right but once they get into the actual building process they're sweating they're fighting they're hungry they're not sleeping that's when the true test of okay do you really know what you're called to do? Because it's in those seasons, in those moments that it's truly tested. Everyone loves the honeymoon stage, you know, like, I'm going to have the best marriage. We're never going to fight. We're never going to argue. We're going to have all this, and it's going to be the greatest honeymoon. You get onto your honeymoon, you start fighting. You know, it's just part, but it's part of working through our humanity, okay? It, nothing is perfect. You're imperfect, so nothing you touch will end up being perfect, and it's okay, as long as we realize we have a perfect God to help us get through all the resistance that we face in life. Verse 19, chapter 2 says, But when Senballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, which were the resistance, the, um, the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. Let's pause there for a second. That's kind of like the question, the serpent in the garden pictured as Satan himself, asked Eve, did God really say, did the king himself really say you couldn't eat off this tree? Because, you know, really he knows if you eat off this tree, you'll become more like him because you'll understand good and evil. And right now all you understand is good. So really, he, he's just, you know, I don't know, did he really say that you'll surely die? Did he really say that? That's kind of what's happening right now. They're, they're questioning, their question is, is in such a way that it's questioning the calling of Nehemiah. And I'm sure after Nehemiah has started building the wall and seeing the realities and that the burden and the load that he was going to have to carry, I'm sure he had moments where he doubted. Like we don't see all of his thoughts, you guys. We see the victories, we see some of the struggles, but we don't see all the thoughts. I would love to get in some of the thoughts. I mean, we could see some of the thoughts of David. David was an emotional basket case. But yet he was noted as the greatest king that Israel ever had in history. But yet, read the Psalms. I mean, the guy was up and down and up and down and up and down. You know, mad at God, in love with God, mad at God. It's like some of you guys. You're like up and down. But hey, it's okay. But they begin, they begin to question his calling. And I, I, I remember like being in a season in my life when I was first called to go and move to Minnesota and, and, and called to go 
travel with this ministry out of Minnesota. Like I was new. I'd only been walking with Jesus for 11 months. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't even know what I was getting into. Uh, when I got on the plane, I didn't know where I was going to live. I had no place to live. I didn't know the people that I was going to, to connect with. I mean, it was so fresh. I only had three weeks to prepare. And in those three weeks, I had all these signs from God that I was called to move to Minnesota. And I was called to travel with these two people around North America. I had this calling. I knew it was God. And I got this phone call one day from a friend of mine. And he, he was talking to me, and he said to me, he said, Sean, I heard you're, you know, you're moving, and, and he's like, uh, he's like, I was shocked when I heard, and I was like, why? And he's like, because, you know, I, I could picture so-and-so, and he referenced one of my other friends, I could picture so-and-so doing that, but you, I don't know, like, I, are you sure? And I began to, in that moment, doubt myself a little bit. I began to, even though I had all the signs, all the confirmations from God that I was supposed to go to Minnesota, I was like, oh man, like my, I feel like my calling's being called into question right now in this moment, in this season. I had to flip back to a place where I'm like, you know what, no, wait a minute. God has called me. And I love it what it says here in verse 20. This is the response of Nehemiah to the questioning of his calling. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Even though I have no place to live, I don't know where I'm going, going to a foreign land, I don't know the people, God will help us succeed. We as servants will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. I believe this is the antidote to overcoming when your calling is being called into question. Confess your calling when your calling is being questioned. Write that down. Confess it out loud. You know that your words, Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, the power of tongue is life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. You know that your words, your words have the power of life and death in them. And your words, even Hebrews says it, that by the words of God, the word framed the worlds to which we experience right now. So think about it. When you speak, it actually can create a negative world or a positive world. Your critical reaction, well, I don't know about this. Why are you doing this? Why are you spending money on this? Or why are you doing it over here? I don't know. When you speak out of a negative place, it creates a world of negative energy. You don't realize it. How many know when you get around somebody critical, you can feel it? Their stare. It's like the, the wife's stare. She's mad at you. It's like it, the stare has power. Now just attach some words to it, and it's like, it's like you know, World War III. No, I'm just joking. But not joking, kind of joking. But yeah, it's like World War III. It feels like that, you know? The stare with the words combined, it's like explosive, you know? But, um, but you know, we don't realize that our words create negative or positive experiences for people. So when we confess our calling, we confess it for ourselves. We come back into the reminder that, hey, I can do this because God is with me, and God's going to help me do it. I can be the mom that I'm called to be because God's called me a mom. God so called me a mom, he entrusted me with a child. So if God entrusted me with a child, I'm, I, have this, I have what I need to be the, awesome, the best mom ever. The best mom ever to this child or the best father ever to this child. Are you with me? Confess your calling when your calling is being questioned. Number two, the second thing that's called into question in our life during the resistance in life is our ability. Our ability, our skill set. You don't have what it takes God calls you, maybe you got a dream to do something really outside of the box, and you don't feel like you have the education, you don't feel like you have the skill. I love it. I love hearing some of the testimonies, and not, I don't want to ever negate, um, you know, education, because I believe in education, and it's important. You got to follow the track that God has you on. You got to do things. You got to try things sometimes, and figure out your, your lane. You got to find your lane. Sometimes you got to find your lane. You know, especially on the highway, you need to stick to your lane. If you're not going to go faster than 100 kilometers an hour, don't be in the left lane. Okay, don't be that guy. Find your lane. Everyone, so all the people from Quebec are like, yeah, because they're all the ones that are crazy drivers. Anyways, so I, um, so anyways, so um, lost my train of thought there. That's what happens when I do that. But anyways, what was I talking about? Help me out. Education, yes, thank you. Yeah, you're listening. See, this is all part of the plan to make sure you're engaged. So, you know, we may not have the skill or the ability, and this is what was happening to Nehemiah. They began to not only question his calling, they began to question his ability. I don't think you have what it takes to rebuild the wall. I don't think you have the skill. I don't think you have the education. I don't think you have the experience. So let's read it. In verse 1, Senballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage, mocked the Jews, saying in front of all of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can carry or they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Like, basically saying, you, you so suck at building, you have no ability to build anything like that's going to stand, that even if a fox, a little fox, walks upon the top of it, it's all going to collapse. It was a simple threat of intimidation to get him to give up. Give up. So the devil's asking us, give up. When are you going to give up? You don't have the ability. When are you going to give up? You're, are you really called? You don't have the ability. You don't have the skill. You didn't get the training. You didn't, you, you didn't read the book, What to Expect When Expecting. You, you, and because you didn't read that book, What to Expect When Expecting. Anybody read that book? You know, you, you can't be a good mother or a good father. You know, it's like that, that lie that comes in, that's simply a lie. But hey, if God led me to it, he'll lead me through it. And that is always the promise. That is always the promise. <sighs> I feel like this is a workout up here. <laughs> yeah, Josh, welcome to my world, as Josh said. Um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this because there's times and seasons where I think we all go through this constantly, even though we know we're called and we, even we question ourselves. I question my own ability at times. We all question. It's actually a normal part of our humanity to question ourselves. And it's not always bad. Sometimes it's good. Self-evaluation. Say, okay, I need to work on this. I need to, you know, adjust this. I need to find my lane better in this area. But, you know, I was thinking about when I first had my encounter when I was 18 years old, I had a lot of people telling me that, uh, you know, okay, so Sean, you know, I didn't even know what, like, a ministry calling would look like. I didn't know, like, I wasn't thinking behind a, I never thought I would speak behind a mic, like, ever. In my life. I was a drummer, musician, background person. I didn't think I'd be behind a mic. And just so you know, disclaimer, those of you that don't want the mic, often are the ones that get the mic. Often those that want it, don't end up getting because they have wrong motives. And so I, I, I'm not saying all the time, but often. And so, you know, I, 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 I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing. I fell in love with Jesus at 18. Everything changed. I jumped into the deep end. All the Christians that were praying for me to have that encounter then rejected me and became my resistance. Thought I was crazy, which is kind of confusing, but that's what happens, right? You, 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 get, you give your life to Jesus, but you give, your, you give too much of your life to Jesus, you know? And it's like now everybody's ticked off at you. You know, you gave way too much. I just wanted you to be religious come on Sunday. You know, it's like, okay, uh, if I'm in this, I'm in for relationship, man. Like, that's what, and it's real. It's real life experience. And so I jumped all the way in, and I remember everybody was seeing what was happening to me, and I started traveling around North America, and I was being mentored, and good things were happening. And, um, and, and all of a sudden, I started getting these offers. Like, I had an offer, paid schooling in Australia. I didn't have to pay anything. Just go to Australia and I paid schooling. I had an offer, paid schooling in Argentina. I had all these offers for Bible school, and I just didn't feel like it was my lane. Not, not that it's not for everybody, but I just didn't feel like it was my lane. When I gave my life to Jesus, the first six months after that, I literally would spend four to eight hours a day praying and reading the Word, studying the Word. That was my schooling in the beginning, and it still continues to this day. That was my schooling. And then I began to experience the things that I was actually studying. I wasn't just doing tests. I was at my tests were out there on the street. And I was reading this stuff. I mean, like, Jesus healed the sick. So, hey, I can go out and pray for the sick and they'll be healed. And I started seeing this happen. And that became my paradigm. That became my education. And so there, but yeah, not negating, not negating the practical side. But that, that became my lane. I remember all these people saying, well, you need a plan B. What if it fails? We need a plan B. You know, what if you and all these, like, these doubting, I don't think you have the ability. You don't have the ability. You don't have the ability. But I love how Nehemiah responded to this when his ability was being questioned. He says in verse 4 of chapter 4, then I prayed, hear us our God, for we are being mocked. I love how he turned his attention to God. He prayed. Hear us, our God, for we are being marked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Basically, his prayer was um, justice. <laughs> like, take them out. <laughs> take them out. They we're called to do this, so if they don't want in, if they don't want a piece of the pie, they can go eat out of the dump. That's basically what he was praying. But that's what happens. You see, I love it. Go to Acts 4 for a second. Go to Acts 4, verse 13. Acts 4, verse 13. 
It says this out of the Amplified Version. Now, when the men of the Sanhedrin, the, the educated people, the really the resistance in much of the sense to the apostles in the book of Acts, the Jewish high court saw the confidence, listen to this, and boldness of Peter and John and grasped the fact that they were uneducated and untrained ordinary men. They were astounded and began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. See, you can have all the knowledge in the world when it comes to spiritual life, but if you don't know the one who is the author of spiritual life, you're going to miss it every time. You can have all the intellectual, you can have all the arguments, you can know about evolution, you can know about all the different religions, you can have all the arguments, but until you have an encounter, nothing is going to change in your life. You'll be full and constipated with knowledge. Some of you are constipated with knowledge. You need a Holy Ghost laxative to get it out. But until the encounter happens, nothing changes. And listen to what it says here. So Peter and John, now get this, okay? Peter and John were like the football players of, uh, of that culture. They were like the, oh, fishermen, you know. I'm sorry, that's a bad illustration. But like, but like, like listen, these fishermen, sorry to anybody who plays football here. But these, these, these fishermen, every one of the apostles that was chosen by Jesus were considered the illiterate. And actually were rejected by every one of the other rabbinical schools. No other rabbi wanted them. So they were left doing their trade fishing. Catching fish all day. Catching fish. But Jesus said, hey, I love the freaks and weirdos. I want the football players. Because you know what? They're rough, rugged, and raw. And they're going to they're gonna take things by force, man. They've been in the storms. They've been weathered. They've been roughed up a little bit. They may not be able to speak very good Hebrew or whatever they're speaking, but they can do something because, hey, I can get their heart. And if I can get a hold of their heart, I can add the ability to them. So next time you feel like you don't got what it takes, just remember that the disciples were also in that same boat. And it says here they were uneducated and untrained. And that word for untrained, that word, let's get this, that word for ordinary in the Greek is the word idiotis. What does that sound like? That's where we got the English word idiot from. Listen, they were a bunch of idiots. Like all of us, we're all a bunch of idiots. Hey, but if we contact heaven, all of a sudden, that idiot becomes a force to be reckoned with against the resistance in life. They were ordinary. That word for ordinary means idiotis. And it actually, listen, I want to define it for you. I know it says it up on the screen. I want to read it to you. A person who conspicuously lacks education or status easily misunderstood as being uninstructed, unrefined, or unlettered in speech. You know what? My grade 9 English teacher looked at me in the face in grade 9 in Confederation High School and said to me to my face, you will never amount to anything, Sean. That's what he told me. Writing three curriculums later, writing a book that's published, and communicating for a living. You know what? He can go have a heavenly encounter now. <laughs> because, listen, at 18, I connected with Jesus. And all of a sudden, in that moment, all of that trumps everything else. And that's exactly what the Jewish high court recognized. All the knowledgeable, intellectual, pe intellectual people said, hey, these guys, like, they don't have any of the stuff that we have. But man, like, there's something different about them. They're all a bunch of idiots, but I want what they got. I want to be an idiot like them because they've been with Jesus. Do you see this? Nehemiah was being called into question, and his antidote was this. Write this down. When your ability is being called into question, ask for ability, and you'll be given ability. Number three, the third thing that's being called into question in the midst of spiritual resistance in our life is found out of verse 7, chapter 4. Let's go, go here. I want to read this to you. But when Sinbalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was getting ahead, so it's, getting, it's moving, moving forward. They're almost like halfway mark. And the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem are being repaired. They were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw them into confusion. You know, Sorry, I'm on, I'm on the, the third point here. The third thing that's taken out is our strength. The third thing that's called into question is our strength, our capacity for something, our capacity to actually make it the long haul, our capacity to actually push through the resistance, the strength inside of us. Because listen to this, when we're at our weariest, when we're at our weakest, that's when confusion begins to set in. 
because their whole goal, they knew, they knew, they were calling their strength into question, and they knew that they were going to come and attack them, and they were going to throw them into confusion. Like, listen, confusion is the offspring of weakness. When you're in your weakest place, if you don't submit and surrender and give up to God in your weakest times, you're going to go into confusion. And once you go into, once confusion sets in, unbelief sets in, doubt sets in, fear sets in, and then you begin to walk down the wrong track that you were never destined to walk down. Verse 9 says, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Verse 10, then the people of Judah begin to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. So now it goes from confusion, it goes from unbelief, doubt, it goes into complaining. Now they're actually redesigning their world around them. They're confessing everything opposite to what God has called them. They're complaining. You know what? Like, I pray to God that I'm never somebody that complains something into destruction in life. So many people sit on the sidelines. It's always easier to sit on the sidelines and complain about what's happening. That's like the whole thing. That's why gossip. See, gossip, celebrity gossip news feeds off people that sit on the sidelines. That aren't in that world. They feed. It's like a, a beast. you got to feed it. And some of us come into contact with it and don't even realize it. We watch the news. We're like, yeah, so-and-so. Did you hear about so-and-so? And you've never walked a day in their shoes. And you have no idea what it means to walk a day in their shoes. And then you begin to complain. And you begin to say, you see, they're never going to do it. And you start talking about it. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous place to live. It creates, it perpetuates a cycle of death even in your own life. And you don't even realize it. Don't be critical. Give that part of you up. Man, ask the Lord, like, go, go, on a, go on a critical fast. Literally. Fast for 40 days, anything critical. Just do it. I'm not going to say anything critical. And then you think, well, then I'd be in denial because that's not what I really feel. No, it's called faith. <laughs> I'm not going to say what I feel. I'm going to speak from a vantage point of seeing how God sees things and how God sees things is through the potential of everything. Anyways, let's keep going here. Verse 11. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know it, what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and they end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Verse 13. Listen to this. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand. What's that word down on your notes? Stand. Guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation... I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember, write that down. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. At the moment you feel like giving up because you have no much, much strength left, this is the word for you. Stand and remember. Stand and remember. Remember that if God led you to it, he'll lead you through it. Remember that God is great and he's glorious. And if God brought you to this point, you will make it. And if anything, fight for your families. Fight for your friends. Fight for your brothers. Stand. Don't just do it for you. Don't give up. Remember that there are other little boats like Mark 4 watching you. There are other little boats in the storm of your life that are watching how you respond, how you react, and your testimony of breakthrough becomes their platform and starting point for breakthrough in their own life. Don't ever forget that. Stand and remember. Remember that God is great and glorious. Every time your strength is being called into question, stand and remember the one who is our strength. I remember with my wife, you know, her, you know, on, on her potentially in a very dangerous spot last fall, you know, almost died. And I remember sitting in the waiting room, I mean, bawling my eyes out, just like a mess, total mess, uh, emotionally, just I, no, no control at all over my emotions. And usually I'm, I'm relatively well kept when it comes to that, you know. And, uh, and I, I remember standing at the reception desk when she was being wheeled in, because it all happened so quick, and just having a physical, emotional meltdown in front of the reception lady, and she had no idea what to do with me. You know, I'm like literally like bawling my eyes out. And then I felt a little bit like, you know, I know this is, don't be offended by this, but I felt like a woman because I went into the bathroom by myself in front of the mirror and started bawling my eyes out. I felt so awkward with myself, but I couldn't control myself. Literally, I had no control of my emotions. I felt like an emotional basket case at that moment. But my wife, I mean, was going through all this turmoil, even though she's in peace. I mean, I don't fully understand what's going on. 
And I remember in those moments waiting six and a half hours in the waiting room. It was supposed to be an hour and a half surgery. It ended up being six and a half hours. I remember waiting in the waiting room with no reception. And the only thing I can do is think about the what-if scenarios. The what-if. And I'm sure Nehemiah went through the same sort of scenario in his mind. What if we actually don't make it? What if we only, what if we only make it halfway? What if we actually do get taken out? What if this whole thing wasn't what I thought it was? What if I'm not going to finish the wall? What if I am a failure? And I'm thinking all this in my mind. What if my wife dies? What if it happens? How am I going to do it? How am I going to function? How? And then I go back to, wait a minute. No, I'm standing. If God led me here, if God led us here. All the words and promises God gave us, if God led us to this point, he'll lead us through this point. And then I would remember, God, you're great, you're glorious, you're awesome. I have the strength in you for what I need to overcome in this season. And as you know, she is a walking miracle. And I'm so thankful for what God did. Nehemiah 4 verse 17, we're almost done here. It says this, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. I love that. They were so dedicated to this, this vision, that they became inconveniently innovative. Listen, if you're ever going to do anything big in life, you're going to be really inconvenienced in life. If you want some, if you want to leave an impact in this world on some level, you are going to be inconvenienced. It's not going to be easy for you. You're going to struggle. You're going to have resistance. You're going to have pushback. You're going to have these intimidating threats. You're going to have these lies that come to you. Say you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Nobody likes you. You're going to have this happen to you. It's going to go over. It's going to be a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. But if you stand and remember, God will help you. But I love this. The people were so determined to, for, to accomplish this vision, so determined that they say, you know what? I don't care what it takes. I will inconvenience myself by building with one hand and holding a weapon in the other. I mean, that is like, that is like the definition of inconvenience and innovation. I mean, I'm going to make it work. It's going to feel awkward, but I'm going to make it work. And that's how we build in the that's how we build in life. We have to hold strong to the things that fight off the resistance in our life and help us move through the resistance while we continue to advance in life. There's two things that are going on in every season of advancing that we can't forget. The last thing that's called into question in our life is our focus. It's our focus. I'm almost done here. Nehemiah 6 verse 1 to 5 says, Sinbalat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arab, which is the resistance, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall, and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So at this point, they'd finished the entire wall. No gaps remained. The only thing they hadn't yet set up was the doors in the gates. Verse 2, so Sinbalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Everyone say, oh no. It's funny because they're done the wall now. No gaps remain, which is awesome. It's a miracle. They haven't finished the doors at the gates. Because see, gates always speak of the blessing and reward of heaven. Always in scripture. The blessing. That's where, if, if the gate's not open, the blessing can't come in. If the door is closed, Jesus can't come in. The door of your heart is closed. Jesus can't come in. You got to open up your life to him. You got to let him in. You got to surrender. You got to make that decision. So, I mean, they're about to complete everything. And now, guess what happens? These distractions start coming in. And God told me four weeks ago that in this next season, we'd have emotionally destructive distractions that would come our way. And for you, Maybe you're in a season where you're advancing, you're moving forward in something and you feel like it's like, it's a, it's a, you're, you're trudging and it's hard, you feel weak, you feel weakened. Don't be dis surprised if you have these emotionally destructive distractions trying to take you out and take your attention off focus and where you're supposed to be going. Don't be surprised by it, it's going to happen. It says here, they found out that there was no gaps left. It says in verse 2, So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged, or I am advancing, the word is, in a great work so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times 
They sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. Four times. I mean, he was being harassed. These destructive distractions were going to come and take his focus off because they were almost done. Everything. They were almost done. And now the focus is being challenged. These distractions are coming his way. The pressure is getting more intense. But I love it. In verse 9, Nehemiah has the revelation, has the understanding. It says this out of the New Living Translation. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. I love that. When your focus is being called into question, focus even more. Determine even more when your focus is being called into question. That became fuel for the fire for Nehemiah. Trying to get me distracted? See, I already saw this coming before you ever even did it. Four times, I'm getting the, I see the patterns. I'm not going to be distracted by you. I have a focus. I have a vision. This may feel like resistance, but hey, I'm going to move through it by continuing to focus on the task at hand with even greater determination. That's what God wants for you in this season. Maybe something's happening at work. Something's happening on your street. Something's happening in family, relationships, church. Something's happening to you, and you're maybe being distracted. And it's, it's literally pulling on your emotional real estate. It's drawing on your emotions too much. And you're feeling dried out. You're feeling those, like this like spiritual leech on your emotions, just drying you out. you got nothing left to give. Let that be a sign to you that you're advancing and the enemy wants to keep you paralyzed. And as soon as you become aware of that, all of a sudden, what was used against you now is used on behalf of you to propel, propel you forward. Just like Nehemiah. Now all of a sudden, he became more determined than he ever was. He became more focused than he ever was. He was going to finish the job. He was going to make it happen. Why don't you stand up with me? You know, Nehemiah is really a picture of Jesus. He really is. And um, he was a cupbearer. Remember that. He was a cupbearer. And you know that Jesus was also a cupbearer. Luke twenty-two forty-two. one of the last things that happened to Jesus, one of the last struggles that happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the garden of everything pressing on around him. He literally, the Bible says he sweat blood. His body went into a state of what they call hemohydrosis where his body was under extreme shock and stress so much to the point where his sweat turned into blood. That's how, that's, how, that's, that's the kind of pressure Jesus was under in the Garden of Gethsemane because he was fully man and fully God. And in that moment, his humanity was once again tested. And in that moment, you see, he was called to be the cupbearer for all humanity. Just like Nehemiah was called to be a cupbearer, laying his life down for the king every day. So in practice and preparation, so he could one day lay his life down for a cause to restore dignity to, to, to his people at, in Jerusalem. He had to practice the same way as Jesus in this moment. He was about to drink the cup of death. He said, hey, God, Father, if it's possible, take this cup for me, this cup of death that I'm going to drink. Because he knew in that cup, he was going to feel the pain and sin of all humanity. He was going to take on the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, in one moment on the cross. He didn't think, and he knew in his own ability he couldn't do it. He knew in his own strength, and he couldn't do it. He knew that he was called to do it, but in that moment he was struggling to do it. And he said, if it's possible, I don't know if I can be the cupbearer for all humanity. But then I love how he changes his mind and says this, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I think he realized in that moment that it's not my strength, it's your strength in me. It's not my ability, it's not all my training, it's your grace upon me. And that you, God, you've called me to do this. You've called me to drink the cup, to bear the cup for all humanity. This is what he did for you and I. Just close your eyes just for a few moments. Jesus was our Nehemiah. And in this moment, Jesus has a desire to restore you, to restore the ruins in your life, to restore the walls that have been broken down in your life because of pain. Maybe the enemies come in, maybe life has come in in your life and has broken down the walls, broken down the city gates, taken the security away from you. He's broken down, he's wounded you, you have unforgiveness in your heart, hatred. You're full of pain, you're, you're just hurting and, and, and those walls have been broken down in your life. Well, listen, 
Jesus is our Nehemiah today, and he wants to restore those walls. He wants to restore those city gates. He wants to make you whole again. He wants to restore to you dignity again. He wants to restore to you protection, security, and health again. He wants to give you what was lost. He wants to take what was in ruins and is in ruins right now and make it new again.